Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello, friends. Welcome to this latest episode of the Bill Press Pod. A couple of weeks ago, to deal with the coronavirus, Congress passed the biggest spending bill in history, $2 trillion, including $350 billion for small businesses under the so-called Paycheck Protection Program. But guess what? That money's already run out. Many small businesses that didn't get any help need it badly. So Congress has geared up to put even more money into the Paycheck Protection Plan. But is that enough? And what about hospitals? For some answers on where Congress goes next on the coronavirus, whether or not Congress should return to Washington to vote, and how states are dealing with the crisis, we turn to one of the leading Democrats in Congress, former presidential candidate and a rising star in the Democratic Party, Congressman Eric Swalwell, representing California's 15th Congressional District. The Congressman joined us online from his home in the San Francisco Bay Area. Congressman Swalwell, good to join you. Thanks so much for giving some time today. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Bill, for uh, having me on the podcast. So first of all, let me ask you, um, what's the situation today in the Bay Area in California dealing with the coronavirus uh, epidemic? You know, we have seen uh, this past week uh, about 50 to 75 uh, new cases uh, each day. Uh, and, and so they're not going up as uh, dramatically as you're seeing all over the country. We have uh, still fewer than a thousand cases in Alameda County. I think the correlation is that we were the earliest uh, county in the country uh, to shelter in place. Uh, we've seen you know residents follow those rules, uh, and uh, I think we'll be one of the first ones out of this, and, and we'll hopefully uh, be an inspiration to the rest of the country as to you know what it takes, the discipline you have to show uh, to do this, and then how you can reopen. Uh, the economy. What marks do you give uh, Governor Newsom? Uh, A plus. Uh, in, and, you know, he's only uh, in his uh, second year uh, as governor, but he came in uh, with the wildfire crisis, which I think prepared him well for this. Uh, we've seen uh, homelessness go up uh, in the state, and he's tried to address, you know, the moving of resources uh, logistically to uh, help the homeless population. So uh, he, he was ready for this. Uh, and, you know, I think he has credibility among uh, Republicans, Democrats, independents in the state. And of course, other governors have stood up too uh, in other states, both Republican and Democrat. Uh, uh, Congressman, how do you assess the leadership that we've seen coming from the governor's offices and some of the mayor's offices with, uh, contrast that with the Trump administration? That's right. Uh, Larry Hogan, uh, credit uh, to him in, in Maryland, Republican uh, governor. Uh, you know, there's been a absence of federal leadership. Uh, that's unfortunate. I, I think we've seen in the past uh, both Republican and Democratic presidents bring us together. I was 20 years old as a Capitol Hill intern uh, and still remember that stirring speech of George W. Bush uh, standing on the rubble uh, at the Twin Towers uh, telling the firefighters, I can hear you. Uh, and he brought the country together. Uh, you know, in During those uh, moments, uh, President Clinton, of course, uh, after Oklahoma City, uh, the same thing here. 
I think the president had an opportunity, still has an opportunity uh, to unite the country. But it, there's a pattern with this president, which is uh, he tends to make uh, every uh, crisis worse. Uh, we we probably had uh, you know a harbor. We we probably had a uh, inclination this would happen when you look back at Puerto Rico and you know throwing paper towels uh, to Puerto Ricans who really needed real uh, relief. Uh, and he's just he tends to make things worse when we need him uh, to make it better. So the latest is um, the the president says he has total authority to declare, decide um, when the country will open up, when businesses will open up, when restaurants will open up. It's up to him. All 50 states, total authority. Do you buy that? No, uh, it's, it's a ludicrous uh, statement. But also what I think is going to be embarrassing for him is that uh, he's he may make this declaration and it's not going to be followed by most uh, Republican and Democratic uh, governors. So what is your authority if it's not even followed and the, and the public doesn't even want to do it? You, you see industry leaders, people who are responsible for large workforces saying, please don't do this yet until we have universal testing. Uh, so it it's just, I, I think the best thing he could do, Bill, is every day tell us where we are, what we need to do in the next week, and what the horizon point is, give people hope. Uh, but, you know, this mixed messaging, the you know thumping of the chest to show he's in charge, that's not helping people who are you know starting to get antsy at home and are looking for real leadership uh, in a real light at the end of the tunnel on this. What is your what is your sense of when either in California or around the nation, things might open up again and and how? So I, I talked to our uh, county health officials uh, weekly uh, about this, as well as the governor's office. And, and even, you know, frankly, uh, Vice President Pence on a conference call that I was on last week, uh, he and Dr. Fauci uh, said that California will probably be out of this uh, the soonest. So uh, what we're looking at is, you know, is we approach early May when our shelter in place order technically should be lifted. Uh, it would be a phasing out of the sheltering in place just as we phased into it, meaning uh, that you could see restaurants open at a reduced uh, capacity, that uh, you would have restricted travel into the area, meaning if people are coming from areas that are not yet uh, reducing their cases, uh, they would be screened, they would probably have to self-isolate, and also it really only be for essential workers coming uh, into our area. Uh, Non-essential workers being able to go back to uh, their offices, but with physical distancing requirements in place and and wearing masks. Uh, But one uh, business owner told me yesterday uh, in uh, my area, he said, look, I don't want to send my workers back to my workplace uh, until I have the hand sanitizer, uh, all the wipes to wipe down the place uh, around the clock. And there's such a bottleneck, uh, you know, on those supplies that uh, I can't do that right now uh, responsibly. So and he said, rightfully, those materials are going uh, to the hospitals. And so, you know, employers, they're going to follow. They're going to do what it takes to make their their employees safe. They're not going to do it on an arbitrary timeline tied to the president's uh, reelection, you know, odds. And would you agree it's going to take some time before uh, people are comfortable, let's say, going to a Giants game, right, or a Nats game here in Washington, or, yeah. or a con- concert or whatever, just being back in in public gatherings? Yes, and, and my wife and I, just like most Americans now, are, uh, you know, really maxing out, uh, you know, Netflix and uh, other <laughs> right. uh, shows, and any show that we watch now where you see a, a mass gathering or a crowd, we almost just cringe like, oh, God, that's not proper 
physical distancing. Uh, and then you realize, oh, it was filmed uh, way before. But um, yeah, I, I think there's just in our psyche now, uh, you know, we, we are going to, it's going to take a while for us to get back to normal, even if health wise, I think uh, we can, because we've been conditioned to do this. I, I don't think it's a bad thing that, uh, you know, we're all probably washing our hands better than we were uh, before. Mm-hmm. We're using hand sanitizer. Uh, I think we're, you know, screening passengers from areas that have issues, you know, it's probably going to be the new uh, normal, but I, I, I can't wait to go watch uh, a Giants game. Uh, and <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you're the same with the Nats. With the Nats, right. So before you, uh, just before you left, Congress passed the biggest spending bill in American history, $2 trillion. It looks like, Congressman, a lot of that money has already been spent, I mean, already out the door to businesses. Uh, do we need to do more? And if so, what areas do you think need some more help? We do need to, we need more. Uh, and first and foremost, it should go to frontline healthcare workers. Uh, look, I, I understand the economic needs and I want to do everything I can to make sure that if you're unemployed, your unemployment insurance uh, continues to come in, uh, that if uh, you're an employer using the paycheck protection plan, that you have more weeks than just eight weeks of payroll uh, and that we are able to, uh, you know, continue to provide stimulus checks uh, to people who need it the most. But we will be out of this financial crisis uh, sooner if we solve the healthcare crisis uh, first. And, and recognizing that uh, if we're going to supplement uh, the Paycheck Protection Program like the president is asking us to do, uh, we also need to supplement uh, what the hospitals have. Because I, I talked to a hospital uh, in my district uh, on Tuesday, and they told me it was a community hospital, smaller, but they said that they'd only tested 34 people. And they said it's not because there's only 34 people uh, who have uh, wow. come to us. It's because uh, we have a limited availability of tests. And so we're really scrutinizing who can be tested. And so I, I really think testing, 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 test for the positive or negative uh, result, a test for antibodies once that is available, and then have a uh, vaccine uh, that can hopefully uh, eradicate this. But uh, we need to really fund the science and the health first. Uh, I saw on your website, Congressman, at a recent, I believe, I know it was a town hall, maybe a virtual town hall, um, that you spoke about the importance of including um, mental health money for mental health yeah. um, counsel at this at this time too, with a lot of people really frightened and suffering. I did a town hall yesterday with uh, SEIU uh, workers. Uh, these are uh, nurses, uh, janitors, airport workers, uh, in-home support services uh, providers, uh, and they were telling me that you know what they're experiencing right now with this, the amount of uh, you know uh, sick people they're working with, the death that they've seen, uh, that they need mental health services now, and they're going to need it uh, well into the future. Uh, But also, um, there's no question that this will affect the mental health of the American people, even even if you're not on the front lines. Uh, You know, I I talked last week to uh, a California uh, representative for uh, family therapists, and he was telling me that, you know, we're going to probably find out by the end of the year what the effect uh, this is uh, on uh, the family uh, on marriages uh, that you know we're going to have unintended or unexpected consequences of this that we're going to have to you know confront and we've always uh, I think underfunded mental health services. I know Congressman uh, Mike Thompson, uh, my neighbor uh, mm-hmm. to the north in Napa, uh, he has legislation that would increase uh, funding for mental health, uh, and I hope we can take a second look uh, at doing that. So all of this um, discussion about what comes next or the fourth stimulus package, whatever, however you want to refer to it, 
To what extent, Congressman, does that require Congress to come back to Washington? And do you think Congress should come back to Washington? Or is there a way that Congress can either debate or vote like we're doing right now on yeah. Zoom? So ideally, uh, because there's such broad consensus on what is needed, which is to supplement the Paycheck Protection Program, probably extend unemployment uh, and fund our healthcare workers. Ideally, we could do it the same way we did last time, which would be to, you know, through unanimous consent in both chambers, uh, pass this and reduce the amount of people that have to come back. Now, I've been pushing uh, since 2013 for Congress to have a remote voting and remote committee uh, capability. I've had legislation uh, every uh, term that I've been in uh, trying to do that. And uh, you wouldn't be surprised to hear that uh, it wasn't very popular when I introduced it. Uh, and now we have uh, nearly 100 uh, of my colleagues, uh, bipartisan, uh, have in some way or another signed on to the legislation or signed a letter that I've written uh, asking for us to do this. So I, I think you know we have to consider this capability. The speaker asked uh, the chairman of the Rules Committee, Jim McGovern, to look at uh, how we could convene this way. Uh, but I, I think if the rest of the country is doing this, other parliaments across uh, the world uh, are doing this, uh, we certainly uh, should be ready if, if that's needed. But I think in the short term, uh, we should be able to get the Republicans in the Senate side to agree, look, we'll fund the, the Paycheck Protection Program, but we need to supplement that uh, with funding for our hospitals and also make sure that this Paycheck Protection uh, loan is going not only to the big banks, uh, but to smaller community banks who reach minority communities and folks, uh, farmers in rural areas. Uh, I'm curious, logistically, how would the vote by uh, online voting work? Let's say, would it be on a system like Zoom? And how do you, um, what's the security necessary? And would you need an act of Congress to make that happen? So we would have to change the rules. Uh, so you know, a majority vote could change the rules uh, in the House. So you would actually, you know, you'd have to convene to do it unless you could do it again by a, a voice vote. Uh, but I've seen a number of uh, different vendors uh, since uh, I and others have uh, really pushed this conversation forward. Vendors have come forward to me and have presented demos uh, showing how uh, through two-factor authentication uh, they could secure uh, mm -hmm. the vote. And that on the other end, uh, the, the speaker or the person designated to be in the speaker's chair uh, would uh, initiate the proceedings. And it looks like, and it when you toggle through it, it it's very simple to use. And it looks like uh, you're on the House floor. So it's, it's essentially <laughs> extending the, you know, because when you're on the House floor, we take a voting card and put it in a machine. And there's no no way to authenticate that I'm the person actually putting the card in the machine. It's just the card is trusted and you trust that, you know, only the person who owns the card is putting it in the machine. So you're just really expanding how far away from the Capitol the person is because you would use two-factor authentication to log in. There would be, a, I've seen it, it has a countdown clock. It has three buttons that you would click, green for yes, red for no, uh, and yellow uh, for present, uh, just as you would push on the House floor. And again, I just think in emergencies, it's a capability we want so that we can still function. And it may not be Congress that makes that decision. Back to the president again. He said yesterday um, that he's so uh, upset that some of the people, some of the, his positions in, in his administration are not filled that he might exercise his authority, he claims to have, to adjourn the Congress, just shut you guys down. Uh, all of a sudden, then, he's all of a sudden the president of the United States, Donald Trump, is the biggest supporter of Voice of America. I mean, that that is just <laughs> really hard to fathom. That that he's going to shut down 
the Congress so he can get his Voice of America uh, appointee through. Uh, you know, he has, as he likes to tell us, and Mitch McConnell likes to tell us, uh, he has put through uh, over, uh, you know, 200 persons uh, on the federal bench. Uh, most of the nominees that he has that are not federal judges that are awaiting appointment uh, are being held up because one reason or another, Republicans in the Senate won't allow them to go through. They have a system where any single senator can slow down a nomination. And so uh, right now, I, I think if the Senate or the House uh, are convening, it should be to address this crisis in front of us, which uh, has completely incapacitated uh, our economy. And people are looking for leadership uh, from the president. Uh, and again, I, I think this is just a way to deflect from uh, his irresponsibility in addressing this crisis. Do you believe he has that legal authority? No, uh, he, he does not, because he would he would have to have a, a disagreement between the leader of the Senate and the Speaker of the House over when Congress should adjourn. And under the Senate rules, uh, just what Chuck Schumer could oppose Mitch McConnell wanting to adjourn and he wouldn't be able to do it. So McConnell would have to change his own rules to then create a disagreement. And Pelosi, Speaker Pelosi could immediately reconvene the Congress if he did that. And she could do it a second later. So again, it's, it's really just semantics from somebody who doesn't want to focus on the crisis at hand. Again, we're talking with Congressman Eric Swalwell from California here on the Bill Press Pod. We'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with the Congressman. Today's podcast with Congressman Eric Swalwell brought to you by the International Association of Firefighters. Those great men and women of the Firefighters Union, over 320,000 strong, answering the call for more than 100 years. And today, paramedics and firefighters all across the United States and Canada are on the front lines, risking their lives to protect American families in the middle of this coronavirus pandemic under the leadership of President Harold Schaefberger. We salute the firefighters, thank them for their great work, and thank them for the support of the Bill Press Pod. So, Congressman, good to join you again. Thanks again for being, being, being with us. Um, I don't know whether you got your check yet in the mail from the federal <laughs> government, but uh, you'll be happy to see it. Donald Trump signed it. Well, he didn't exactly sign it, but... Uh, his name is on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, thank, thankfully, uh, you know, my wife and I are, are not getting uh, a check. Uh, and, you know, we, we tried to make sure that folks who need it the most are getting it. And, and you know what, Bill, I, I say, uh, you know, let him sign uh, his name 10 times on the check and put a Trump Tower sticker uh, on the envelope. Just get people the damn checks. Uh, but if he's if he's so eager to sign the checks, uh, he should also sign the death certificates. And right now uh, there's 25,000 of them. And I, I think uh, you know, his failure to act early uh, is uh, in part uh, why we are in this position. And, and again, he wants to take credit uh, when he can put money in people's pockets, uh, but he doesn't want to take credit uh, when people are dealing with unimaginable tragedy. Uh, one thing the president does want to do is he wants to cut off any funding for the World Health Organization, claiming basically it's their fault that we're stuck in this pandemic. There will be a day uh, to look back and see, you know, what China did, uh, what the United States knew and what these uh, outside organizations uh, were doing that we fund uh, so heavily. But right now, I think would be the worst time to defund an organization uh, whose uh, goal is to the goal and objective is to work 
uh, to reduce outbreaks like this across uh, the globe. Look, I, if they need to be reformed, we should lead the way in reforming them. That's what we do uh, as a country. You know, I, I don't like the way the president talks about uh, NATO and his constant attacks on our allies. I will give him credit, though, that uh, through his attacks, he has gotten some countries to contribute more. It, again, I don't like the way he's done it. I, I think it sets us back when we need these countries in other ways. But that's the approach to take rather than just defunding it uh, completely. I'd rather see him try and lead as the United States typically does uh, rather than uh, to just pull out. And uh, Congressman, we could talk for hours about the coronavirus and our response to it. Uh, before we let you go, I do want to ask you just a couple of quick questions about politics. Um, this was a big week for the Democratic Party, for Joe Biden, uh, receiving the endorsements of uh, three days in a row. Bernie Sanders on Monday, Elizabeth Warren on Tuesday, and Barack Obama on Wednesday. What's that tell you about the Democratic Party and how things are shaping up for November? We're a unified party. Uh, and, you know, we're a party with, you know, people uh, who have, you know, beliefs uh, up and down the spectrum. But I see us coming together, recognizing that too much is on the line. This is going to be an election about public health and competent governance. And we have a candidate who believes in funding uh, public health and a candidate who's worked in an administration before uh, that competently governed us through the Ebola crisis through uh, the greatest uh, recession uh, of our lifetime. Uh, and we're going to need a, a president, uh, Biden, to lead us out of this mess. And in looking at ahead at you and I talked a little bit a while ago about uh, when we can get back to normal, when things can open up, uh, a lot of concerns have been raised about the November election and whether people are going to be comfortable by that time coming out and standing in line to vote. Uh, you and I, as Californians, can vote by mail easily every 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 election. Do you see that, and do you think that should become the model for every state? Vote by mail. At least for this election, it should be. And you know, in a, a couple of weeks, we'll see in California. There's a special election in Southern California uh, for Katie Hill's uh, congressional seat that uh, has been vacated, and that's going to be. 100% uh, mail-in balloting, and I, I think we'll, you know, we'll learn from uh, that uh, election, you know, how we could project this across the country. But if we're uh, anywhere close to where we are right now, as far as the public health risks of convening people uh, in, you know, any group larger than 10, we need a solution uh, that is not what happened in Wisconsin last week. Uh, and the federal government should be there with the resources to help any states that don't already have a vote by mail system. Now, sadly, the Republicans see that as a red line. They see it as an existential threat uh, to their party if people could, God forbid, have access to the polls. Uh, so uh, what the states will have to do is on their own fund this. What I think uh, candidate Biden should do uh, and Senate candidates should do is say that uh, if we are in the majority, if we have that holy trinity uh, come January, that any states that had to pay for this uh, out of their own uh, funds, that the federal government would help them, uh, you know, backfill uh, what they had to spend for mail-in ballot. Right. Congressman, it's good of you to spend some time with us. We're glad that you're safe uh, and keeping up the job there in California. Uh, we'll see you back in Washington one of these okay. days. Meanwhile, Thanks, uh, be good, be strong, and stay safe, and we'll see you soon. Thank you. You too. Thank you. And that wraps our conversation with Congressman Eric Swalwell. But now, before we go, a special treat 
for listeners of the Bill Crest Pod. In case you missed it, here's the full statement of former President Barack Obama on April 14, announcing his endorsement of Joe Biden. Hi, everybody. Let me start by saying the obvious. These aren't normal times. As we all manage our way through a pandemic unlike anything we've seen in a century, Michelle and I hope that you and your families are safe and well. If you've lost somebody to this virus, or if someone in your life is sick, or if you're one of the millions suffering economic hardship, please know that you're in our prayers. Please know that you're not alone. Because now's the time for all of us to help where we can and to be there for each other as neighbors, as co-workers, and as fellow citizens. In fact, over the past weeks, we've seen plenty of examples of the kind of courage, kindness, and selflessness that we're going to need to get through one of the most difficult times in our history. Michelle and I have been amazed at the incredible bravery of our medical professionals who are putting their lives on the line to save others, the public servants and health officials battling this disease, the workers taking risks every day to keep our economy running, and everyone who's making their own sacrifice at home with their families, all for the greater good. But if there's one thing we've learned as a country from moments of great crisis, it's that the spirit of looking out for one another can't be restricted to our homes or our workplaces or our neighborhoods or our houses of worship. It also has to be reflected in our national government, the kind of leadership that's guided by knowledge and experience, honesty and humility, empathy and grace. That kind of leadership doesn't just belong in our state capitals and mayor's offices. It belongs in the White House. And that's why I'm so proud to endorse Joe Biden for President of the United States. Choosing Joe to be my vice president was one of the best decisions I ever made, and he became a close friend. And I believe Joe has all the qualities we need in a president right now. He's someone whose own life has taught him how to persevere, how to bounce back when you've been knocked down. When Joe talks with parents who've lost their jobs, we hear the son of a man who once knew the pain of having to tell his children that he'd lost his. When Joe talks about opportunity for our kids, we hear the young father who took the train home each night so he could tuck his children into bed. And we hear the influence of Jill, a lifelong teacher. When Joe talks to families who've lost a hero, we hear another parent of an American veteran, a kindred spirit, somebody whose faith has endured the hardest loss there is. That's Joe. Through all his trials, he's never once forgotten the values or the moral fiber that his parents passed on to him and that made him who he is. That's what steals his faith in God, in America, and in all of us. That steal made him an incredible partner when I needed one the most. Joe was there as we rebuilt from the Great Recession and rescued the American auto industry. He was the one asking what every policy would do for the middle class and everyone striving to get into the middle class. That's why I asked him to implement the Recovery Act, which saved millions of jobs and got people back on their feet. Because Joe gets stuff done. Joe helped me manage H1N1 and prevent the Ebola epidemic from becoming the type of pandemic we're seeing now. He helped me restore America's standing and leadership in the world 
on the other threats of our time, like nuclear proliferation and climate change. Joe has the character and the experience to guide us through one of our darkest times and heal us through a long recovery. And I know he'll surround himself with good people, experts, scientists, military officials who actually know how to run the government and care about doing a good job running the government and know how to work with our allies and who will always put the American people's interests above their own. Now, Joe will be a better candidate for having run the gauntlet of primaries and caucuses alongside one of the most impressive democratic fields ever. Each of our candidates were talented and decent with a track record of accomplishment, smart ideas, and serious visions for the future. And that's certainly true of the candidate who made it farther than any other, Bernie Sanders. Bernie's an American original, a man who has devoted his life to giving voice to working people's hopes, dreams, and frustrations. He and I haven't always agreed on everything, but we've always shared a conviction that we have to make America a fairer, more just, more equitable society. We both know that nothing is more powerful than millions of voices calling for change. And the ideas he's championed, the energy and enthusiasm he inspired, especially in young people, will be critical in moving America in a direction of progress and hope. Because for the second time in 12 years, we'll have the incredible task of rebuilding our economy. And to meet the moment, the Democratic Party will have to be bold. You know, I could not be prouder of the incredible progress that we made together during my presidency. But if I were running today, I wouldn't run the same race or have the same platform as I did in 2008. The world is different. There's too much unfinished business for us to just look backwards. We have to look to the future. Bernie understands that, and Joe understands that. It's one of the reasons that Joe already has what is the most progressive platform of any major party nominee in history. Because even before the pandemic turned the world upside down, it was already clear that we needed real structural change. The vast inequalities created by the new economy are easier to see now, but they existed long before this pandemic hit. Health professionals, teachers, delivery drivers, grocery clerks, cleaners, the people who truly make our economy run, they've always been essential. And for years, too many of the people who do the essential work of this country have been underpaid, financially stressed, and given too little support. And that applies to the next generation of Americans. Young people graduating into unprecedented unemployment they're going to need economic policies that give them faith in the future and give them relief from crushing student loan debt. So we need to do more than just tinker around the edges with tax credits or underfunded programs. We have to go further to give everybody a great education, a lasting career, and a stable retirement. We have to protect the gains we made with the Affordable Care Act, but it's also time to go further. We should make plans affordable for everyone, provide everyone with a public option, expand Medicare, and finish the job so that healthcare isn't just a right, but a reality for everybody. 
We have to return the U.S. to the Paris Agreement and lead the world in reducing the pollution that causes climate change. But science tells us we have to go much further, that it's time for us to accelerate progress on bold new green initiatives that make our economy a clean energy innovator, save us money, and secure our children's future. Of course, Democrats may not always agree on every detail of the best way to bring about each and every one of these changes. But we do agree that they're needed. And that only happens if we win this election. Because one thing everybody has learned by now is that the Republicans occupying the White House and running the U.S. Senate are not interested in progress. They're interested in power. They've shown themselves willing to kick millions off their health insurance and eliminate pre-existing condition protections for millions more, even in the middle of this public health crisis, even as they're willing to spend a trillion dollars on tax cuts for the wealthy. They've given polluters unlimited power to poison our air and our water and denied the science of climate change, just as they denied the science of pandemics. Repeatedly, they've disregarded American principles of rule of law and voting rights and transparency, basic norms that previous administrations observed regardless of party, principles that are the bedrock of our democracy. So our country's future hangs on this election, and it won't be easy. The other side has a massive war chest. The other side has a propaganda network with little regard for the truth. On the other hand, pandemics have a way of cutting through a lot of noise and spin to remind us of what is real and what is important. This crisis has reminded us that government matters. It's reminded us that good government matters, that facts and science matter, that the rule of law matters, that having leaders who are informed and honest and seek to bring people together rather than drive them apart, those kind of leaders matter. In other words, elections matter. Right now, we need Americans of goodwill to unite in a great awakening against a politics that too often has been characterized by corruption, carelessness, self-dealing, disinformation, ignorance, and just plain meanness. And to change that, we need Americans of all political stripes to get involved in our politics and our public life like never before. For those of us who believe in building a more just, more generous, more democratic America, where everybody has a fair shot at opportunity, for those of us who believe in a government that cares about the many and not just the few, for those of us who love this country and are willing to do our part to make sure it lives up to its highest ideals, now's the time to fight for what we believe in. So join us. Join Joe. Go to JoeBiden.com right now. Make a plan for how you are going to get involved. Keep taking care of yourself, 
and your families and each other. Keep believing in the possibilities of a better world and I will see you on the campaign trail as soon as I can. And that's former President Barack Obama endorsing Joe Biden. Isn't it nice to be reminded what a real president sounds like? And that's it for this episode of the Bill Press Pod with Congressman Eric Swalwell and former President Barack Obama. And all of you, thanks so much for joining us. And remember, please, please, if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the Bill Press Pod, become a regular member. Just go to wherever you're listening to this podcast, click on subscribe, and you are in. And then your job is to tell all your friends to do the very, very same. And please follow me on Twitter, at Bill Press Pod, at Bill Press Pod. That way you won't miss a single podcast. That's it for today. Stay strong, stay safe, wash your hands, and we'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.